Now, let me, let me ask you a question. Growing up, were you taught not to hate? Were you taught not to hate? I remember growing up, and I, just as a little guy, and I remember saying, I hate this, or I hate that. And my mom immediately rebuked me, and she said, we don't hate. We don't hate. We don't say the word hate. Anybody else? Were you brought up that way? And, and I wasn't sure, was it just me? So now my brother, Rob, lives here. And so I asked, asked him, I was like, Rob, do you remember that? Did, did mom teach us that? Or was it just me? He's like, no, no. I remember distinctly. Mom taught us not to hate. And he said, I even learned to, to use a different phrase. He says, I learned to say instead of hate, dislike with strong passion. <laughs> I don't remember him ever saying that. And I don't think a two-year-old comes up with that phrase. But anyhow, I like it. So um, instead of using the word hate, maybe dislike with strong passion is the word for you. But, but here's the thing. What if our moms or our dads had it wrong? What if we really are meant to hate? What if God actually instructs us to hate? What if true love hates? I want you to think about this morning. I want to give you something to uh, really cause you to think and hopefully spur on some conversation. We're continuing um, through Romans chapter 12. And and it began with Paul just urging, urging people. And, and, And he said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices of praise, holy and pleasing to him, because this is your spiritual act of worship. Don't don't continue to conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because then, then you'll be able to discern the will of God, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That was the urging of the Apostle Paul. That's how we should respond because of this great news of Jesus Christ, because of what he has done for us. In view of God's mercy, the mercy that he has showed us through Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection. That's how we should begin to think and begin to learn. We, we need to transform our, our thinking from the ways of this world to the ways of God. And and Sutton talked about how um, we begin to do that, that we need to step down off the throne of our lives, quit being the king and the lord of our own lives, and to lay down on the altar before God, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices of praise. And um, again, how that transforms us, and we begin to think differently, we begin to act differently. Now, for the... um, following two weeks, I talked about how God has these gifts for us, and we all, we all have gifts from God. And they're not meant just for us to use selfishly. He's given us these gifts for the sake of others. We're just a conduit through which these gifts are to be used and shared to build up, to encourage the body of Christ, which is the church. And so that's the purpose of these gifts. And we're to use them humbly and wisely. And we need to be careful that our gifts are a charisma does not outpace our character. Make sure our, our charisma does not outpace our character. So with all of that in mind, here's what we want to do this morning. We want to begin to look at what does it look like to live and to love like Jesus.
And we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 9 through 13 together. It's page 1123. If you have one of the church Bibles, page 1123. Feel free to turn there with me. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, or I, I like the ESV version of that, or some other versions have, have it this way. It says, do not be slothful. I love that word. Do not be slothful in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. It begins by, by saying that our love must be sincere, not counterfeit, not, not fake. It, it needs to be real. It needs to be genuine. It, it needs to be more than a word we say, but an action we take. Love needs to be more than a word we say, but an action we take. And it's interesting, God devoted an entire chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, to describe for us what love is, this is this godly love, what love is and what love does. What love is and what love does. And you'll notice when you, you read through that that it, it's not a feeling. The type of love that God's talking about, it is not a feeling, it is an action. It is an action. It is a choice. But, but it's something that can only be exhibited through God. It's a godly love that you cannot possess and you cannot express without the power of his Holy Spirit living within you and loving through you. <clears throat> now, it's, it's, it's weird. It's unnatural when you look at it. it. This kind of love is patient. I mean, that's just not natural, is it? We're not naturally patient people, but, but this kind of love that he's describing here, it's patient and it's kind, and it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, and guess what? It doesn't keep any record of wrongs. Wow. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and always perseveres. This kind of love never fails. That is a love that the world does not know. It, it is um, an extraordinary God-given love that um, can only really be um, embodied when we step off the throne of our lives and we allow Jesus to take his rightful place on the throne as the Lord of our lives. It's the only kind of love that we can express when we lay ourselves down on the altar before God and we allow his spirit who now lives within us to love through us. It's this unnatural, godly kind of love. Now here's the other thing. True love hates. True love hates. Sounds odd, doesn't it? Hopefully, it's got you thinking now. Some of you um, are thinking, he is so wrong. You're, you're ready to argue with me, aren't you? But before you take me out and you know, flog me or something like that, just, 
hang with me. Let me try to explain this a little more. Because it, it says, love must be sincere. This is verse 9. Love must be sincere. So that's true love. And it says, hate what is evil. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Cling to what is good. True love hates what is evil. It hates what is evil. And now, if we're to love like Jesus, then we need to hate evil. We need to hate evil. If you want to love like Jesus, you need to hate evil. Now, listen to this. It doesn't say hate people. Never once does it say hate people. And it doesn't say hate people who, you know, do evil acts. It doesn't say that. Because if it said hate people who commit evil acts, guess what? We'd hate everybody. We would hate everybody because all of us are responsible. All of us have committed some evil act. All of us are guilty of that. So we'd be hating everybody, and that is not God's nature, right? He doesn't want us to hate everybody. Actually, he says, this is how people are going to know that you are my followers by the way you love one another. And he even goes so far, and he says, and here's the thing. I want you to love your enemies, too. So we're defined by our love, not by our hate, but true love hates. It hates what is evil. So what is evil? If we're not to hate people, what is this evil that we're meant to hate? Well, there is a long list of things that God considers evil. Anything that God doesn't say is good will, would be considered evil. And um, for the sake of time, I just want to look at a few of those things this morning. Or, or we're not even going to go into detail on, on a few of them, just really two of them. But um, God is very clear on a few of these things. He says um, this in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. He said, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. So six things that God says he hates. There's no question right here. So I've, I've simplified this a little bit. So the haughty eyes, that's pride. That's pride. He hates pride. Um, he, he opposes the proud, right? He gives grace to the humble. He hates pride. Secondly, he hates lying. Third, he hates shedding the shedding of innocent blood. Fourth, he hates wicked scheming. Fifth, he hates um, an eagerness for evil. And finally, he hates those, not those, but he hates the act of stirring up conflict. He hates stirring up conflict. Now, why do you think God hates these things? I think God hates these things because they are completely contrary to his nature. What is the nature of God? If you think about it, God is a creator and a uniter. He likes to create and unite. Isn't that beautiful? He loves to create. But think about all these things that he hates. What do they do? They break down. They cause division. 
right? They're, they're acts of not God, but of his enemy, Satan. And Satan is not only God's enemy, he's our enemy. And what does Satan want to do? Well, we know from John 10.10 10, that, that Satan's primary motivation is to steal. Again, God hates that. To kill, he hates that. And to destroy, he hates that. Satan is, is everything that God hates. And his ways are the ways of the things that God hates. God hates things that break down his creation, that destroy his creation. That's why he hates them. And that's why we should hate them as well. And so I was convicted this week as I was preparing. And here's my conviction. I don't hate like I should. I don't hate like I should. And I don't think you all hate like you should either. I don't think you hate like you should. Because I don't think we really hate evil. I don't think we truly hate evil. And and I'm going to expound upon that. And and this is where it starts to get personal and it it gets a little political here and um, controversial. But but we're going to go there and we're going to talk about how we should be hating. Remember again, we don't hate people. We don't hate people. We hate what? Evil. We hate evil. So let's just, first of all, I'm just going to wade in sort of gently. Like, you know, the zero gravity pool. So let me just go there so you'll go with me. And I think we could all probably agree on this one. So I'm just looking at at the list of these six things here, right? And uh, I I think the first one where, where we could probably all agree, it says God says that he hates it when people stir up conflict. Can we agree, like, God, God, God hates when we stir up conflict, yet I believe we're all guilty of that. I believe we've all been guilty of stirring up conflict. Uh, let me soften that for you even a, a little bit more. Like, have you ever gossiped? Don't lie, because he hates liars. Uh, actually, he doesn't hate you, but, uh, like, he hates lying, right? But, uh, like, we've all gossiped, right? And does gossip help to build up? No. It does what? It tears down. Does it unite people? Well, sometimes it does, sadly. You know, like we love coming together to gossip. But the, really, ultimately, it, it divides us, doesn't it? And, and yet, we don't hate gossip. Let's be honest. Now, we hate it when people gossip against us, don't we? Like you hear somebody gossip against you, you hate that. But you don't hate it so much that you're not willing to gossip against them. Right? See, we don't hate like we should. We don't really hate gossip because we engage in it. We probably like it a little bit, if we're honest. But it causes division and conflict. God hates that. He hates that because he loves us. He loves us. And, and why did Jesus come? He wanted to give us life. He wanted to bring unity healing and wholeness and gossip and conflict breaks that down, doesn't it? God hates gossip and conflict. And yet we're guilty of it. We don't hate like we should. I don't believe we hate like we should. So everybody's still with me? Like nobody's going to kill me yet? I'm going in the deep end now. So get, get ready. Get Get ready to flog me, because this is, this is where it's going to get really personal. 
So if true love hates gossip, well, how about this one? Um, True love hates the shedding of innocent blood. True love hates the shedding of innocent blood. And I can't think of any more innocent blood than that of an unborn baby. Is there any more uh, innocent blood than an unborn baby? And yet we don't hate the shedding of that innocent blood. We don't, because it's so prevalent. And that, that baby had nothing to do with how he or she was conceived. Can't influence whether the mom or the dad wants it or loves it. But I can tell you this, that God wants that child. God loves that child. And somebody else wants that child, even if the mom or the dad don't want it. And they want to love that child. And so God hates when innocent blood is shed, when an unborn child is killed. God hates abortion. He really does. And the psalmist talks about um, just God's role in our lives, even, you know, in our mother's womb. I, I love this in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God hates it when someone destroys something he has created. He hates it when, when someone destroys a little baby, an innocent baby. And I know this is extremely sensitive, especially right now. And that's why I want to talk about it. It's extremely sensitive in the climate that we find ourselves in. And this is what I I want you to hear, too. God does not hate people. He loves them. God does not hate you if you have been complicit in the shedding of innocent blood. He does not hate you if you have had an abortion. He does not hate you if you encourage somebody else to have an abortion. He does not hate you. He hates abortion, right, because it destroys what he has created, but he does not hate you. He does not hate me, even though most of us have been complicit in this to some degree or another. For instance, if statistics are true, that means 25% of the women here that um, by the age of 45 will have had an abortion. Statistically, that's conservative statistics. 25% of the women in our church will have had an abortion by the time they're 45. God does not hate you. That means also 25% of the men sitting in here have been complicit in that. Because believe it or not, it takes a male and a female to conceive of a child. And so it's not that the women are the guilty ones. The men are as well. And maybe that's not true of you. And you, you say, you know, I've never been complicit in that. But, but I have a feeling you haven't done probably a lot to stop it. Like you don't hate it that much that you've really taken some steps to stop it. 
And so I think we're all guilty of not hating like we should. True love hates. God hates the shedding of innocent blood. And I can't think of any more innocent blood than an unborn baby. That's the truth. Now, again, let me be clear. God does not hate you if you have been party to that. He does not hate you. He wants to heal you. He wants to heal you. And if you have any question of how much God loves you, while you were still a sinner, while I was still a sinner, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. He, he died to take away the burden of that sin. He, he died to restore us, to restore us to this right relationship with our Heavenly Father. He, he came to give us life, new life, abundant life, everlasting life. He hates evil, but he doesn't hate people. He loves you and wants to heal you because he knows all. He knows the circumstances of that abortion. He, he knows the regret. And, and don't be fooled. Anybody that has been engaged in that, male or female, has regret. And they are struggling with that as, as much as they may be trying to push it down or to cover it up. There is great regret. There's great pain that they are still dealing with. I know it, and you know it. God wants to bring healing. He wants to bring healing. He hates evil, not people. He wants to bring healing. So hear that. Hear that above all else. Now, again, true love hates. It hates what is evil, but verse 9 says it clings to what is good. It clings to what is good. Um, so what is good? What does it look like to cling to what is good? What does it look like to really love like Jesus? And, and it begins in, in verse 10, and we're just going to go 10 through 13 rather quickly, but it continues on through the rest of the chapter that we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. But it begins, verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in love. We're called to be devoted to one another in love. See how that is a contrast with evil? Like we're to be devoted. We're to cling to each other. We're to, to love one another well. Remember Jesus said, you want to know what's, what's important? Love God with everything you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be devoted to one another in love. That's how we respond. Um, secondly, we, we honor one another above ourselves. We want, honor one another above ourselves. We consider others more important than ourselves. That's how we're to respond, in love. This is not a worldly kind of love. This is a godly kind of love. It does not make any sense. This is weird, all right? This is a weird kind of love where you consider others more important than yourself. It, it goes on. It says, do not be slothful in zeal, but keep spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And so I, I love that. Like, this is, this is my son Cody's sloth. And he's sweet. Like, and he's super cuddly, but that's about it. Like, he doesn't do anything. He just lays around. He is pretty worthless. And sadly, you know, some people in our spiritual lives, we're sort of like the sloth. Like, we're still cute and cuddly, but we're not doing a lot. We're not making a big difference. We're not serving the Lord and serving others. We need to be fervent, passionate in how we serve God and how we serve others, not slothful in our zeal. And then 
It, it goes on. It says, be joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope. So we have this hope. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a hope, this sure and certain hope, not only of an of a abundant life here on earth, but eternal life with him forever and ever. So be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. We all are going to be afflicted. We are all going to suffer. But be patient in the midst of it. Don't just try to get to the other side of it. Try to figure out what is God teaching me in the midst of it? How is he refining me through this affliction? Be patient in affliction. And then faithful in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. Don't stop praying. Keep talking to God. Share your heart, your frustrations, maybe your anger, whatever it is that you are dealing with. But in prayer, don't do all the talking. Take time to listen. Be faithful in prayer. Listen. Like God wants to speak to you, and he wants to speak truth to you. He wants to speak healing to you. But you got to listen. You got to listen. And then it says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Together, we have plenty. We have more than enough for everybody. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should never be wanting. We need to share with one another. Anybody that's in need, and that may be physical needs, it may be emotional needs, we need to share with one another. It may be spiritual needs, we need to share with one another. That's what we're called to do. Again, this is, this is odd in the world that we live in. And then finally it says practice hospitality. We need to invite others in. Invite others in. Welcome people. Welcome the stranger. Now, these are just some glimpses of what it looks like to love like Jesus, to cling to what is good. And um, again, this is a type, type of love that's unnatural. It, it's out of this world, so to speak. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not natural anymore. You are not normal, all right? You're weird, all right? You are weird. When, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you're, you're going to look weird. Because you're going to start looking more like Jesus. And, and you're going to start acting more like Jesus because your mind is being transformed by the renewing through the word of God. So your mind's being renewed. And as your mind is renewed and you have this more um, godly nature, well, then it affects how, how you act. And you're not going to act like everybody else in the world. You're going to be weird. And, and uh, the Bible actually says this. It, it says you're going to be like an alien. I mean, you see some alien, you're going to be like, that's weird, right? You know, I don't know that I, I, I'm sort of uncomfortable around aliens. Well, that's us, all right? So embrace it because you got this new nature. God has given you his nature. You, he's given you his spirit so that you can begin to love like him. And that's going to be weird in this world. But it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And so um, we, we should hate what God hates. And love like God loves. And so when, when you're on social media and, and you see somebody posting something that you know, like deep down, like that's not something that, that God loves. Ask yourself before you hit the like button, is that something Jesus likes? Don't like it just because you want somebody to like you or you're concerned about how they're going to think of you. Stop before you hit the like button. If, if Jesus wouldn't like it, then maybe you shouldn't like it. All right? But also, don't berate somebody on social media. Please hear me on this one. That, that is not the place. There's actually no place for berating people. 
That's not loving, right? The way we should respond when, when somebody isn't acting according to the truth of God, and maybe they're acting in a way that we would categorize as evil, we should follow the example laid out for us in 2 Timothy 2, verse 25. Listen to this. This is how we should be responding. It says, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. That's how we're to respond. That's how we respond to people. Gently. Gently. Because our hope should be that they turn to God and then they learn and embrace his truth. That should be our hope. So please hear me this morning. True love hates, and it hates evil. And again, I've been convicted. I don't really hate evil like I should. I don't hate like I should. I, I think I, I entertain sin and evil too much. You know, if I really hated it, I would have nothing to do with it. But if we're honest, we, we tend to, to like it a little bit. And we should not. We should hate it. And if we truly hated it, we would act differently. So um, my prayer would be that we begin to hate like we should, but also that we remember that, that God does not hate people. He hates evil. We should never hate people. We should hate evil. We need to love people like God loves us. He died for all of us to reconcile us to himself, to redeem our evil ways, to make them new, to make them good, to make them godly. That's the nature of God. So hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Let's pray. Dear God, thanks for your um, sometimes hard truth. And we know that we live in, in a political world right now, in a cultural world that and it's hard to take a stand for what you say is right and true. And, um, Lord, there's a lot of hostility right now. And we pray that we would not engage in hostile ways, that we would engage in, in you know, godly love that is, is contrary to the ways of this world. And, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just want to pray over every person that is, is in this place and everybody that is watching online, um, Lord, I want to pray for healing right now. I know there, there are a lot of people that are hurting right now who have engaged in evil acts, who may have even bought into a lie that comes directly from the enemy that says, God hates me. And that is not at all true. God loves you. Hear that. Um, know that he didn't come to hate you. He came to heal you receive the healing of God and allow others to come alongside of you and bring that healing as well, especially the women in our midst um, who have um, had abortions. Lord, we pray that you'd bring healing there, that you'd bring healing there, that you'd bring healing there. Bring your healing there, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, bring the healing that only you can bring. Bring it. Bring it. For the men here who have been complicit in that, who encouraged it, bring healing there. 
bring healing there. Bring healing there. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.